Amen. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles and open them up to the book of Acts chapter 10. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. Acts chapter 10 is where we find ourselves today, and if you don't own a Bible, please take that one home with you after the service. I find it interesting each week, kind of the process that God takes me through, even initially as I'm praying about and kind of thinking through, okay, how far are we going to cover? You know, how many, how many verses are we going to go through during, during a particular week? And that's kind of the first process as I'm reading through, and that does change sometimes throughout the week, but... It's interesting as I've been looking at this section that we're in right now and just thinking about this earlier on this week, how important is this encounter between Peter and Cornelius to the Lord? That he would devote basically a chapter and a half in the book of Acts to this meeting between these two men. It, it's kind of set up, we looked at it a little bit last week at the end of chapter 9, but all of chapter 10 is devoted to it, and then chapter 11, they go back to Jerusalem, and they tell the people about it, and instead of just saying a verse, they got back and told everybody about it, they lay it all out for us again. The Lord records that. And just to let you in on a little, little kind of the end of the book before it begins today, we're not going to get to chapter 11. So that means we're going to look at this over the course of three weeks. And... And remember last week, if you were with us, that, that question that I brought up, why is it that God had to show Peter that, that vision three times? Because he points that out, three times the vision. You know, Because sometimes we're like, God, are you trying to say something to me? Is there something in this for me? You know, I was here last week, but obviously that was for the guy next to me. <laughs> and, but you're saying it again and again? That the Lord might be speaking to us individually, even corporately as a church body, a specific message that he might have for us. So be open for that. As we look at this, we, we just as a kind of a refresher, if you were here last week, if you weren't, just kind of let you know where we find ourselves, Acts chapter 10, an, an encounter between two men, Peter and, and Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman centurion. He's a Gentile. And that's significant because to this point in the, in the history of the church, which is about 10 years old at this time, it's been about 10 years since Jesus suffered, died, was buried, rose again, and ascended to heaven, giving the, the mandate to his disciples to go into all the world, all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was given about 10 years, we're into that. But the church right now, though it has been spread through persecution and different things, it's been spread out through Judea and Galilee, Samaria, is still largely Jewish. It still hasn't penetrated and gone out into the Gentile areas. And that's why this is a significant point in this. Because I would imagine for the vast majority of us, we're, we're Gentiles. Praise the Lord, the gospel came to us, right? Amen? <laughs> so we see that now as, as this, is, this is taking place. Cornelius, a Roman, it's, it's laid out for us at the beginning of chapter 10. He's a godly man, devout. He, he's, he's realized that the gods of the Romans are, are empty, that they're, they're not real, and he's, he's turned to follow the God of the Jews, Yahweh God. He's been very generous in, in giving and charitable things towards the Jewish people. He prays regularly following the prayer customs of the Jewish people. During one of those prayer times, 
an angel appears to him and tells him to send people down to Joppa to get Peter, who's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner, bring him back. Chapter 11, verse 14 tells us that the angel said, he has the words of eternal life for you. He will tell you what it takes to be saved. So he sends for that, for, 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 these, for Peter to come to him. Now, just for those of you who have been following along, a little pop quiz. Who's already, this is taking place in Caesarea. That's where Cornelius is. Who's already in, in, in Caesarea that's a Christian? All right, we're going to have to go back a couple of chapters. <laughs> Philip is there. Remember Philip, the one that, that God used to go and meet the Ethiopian eunuch? He's, he's in Caesarea. Wouldn't it make a whole lot more sense to just send Philip over to Cornelius' house? I mean, he's going to save on lodging and travel expenses and all that other kind of stuff. He's right there in town, and he has experience. He's dealt with a Gentile already, the, the Ethiopian eunuch. But you see, there's something interesting in this as we unpack this, because this isn't all about Cornelius. A big part of this is about Peter. And God is far more concerned with allegiance than he is with expedience. And when I say allegiance, it's just like we were talking about initially and what we were singing and what we prayed at the beginning, that God would reign freely in all of our heart. There was still some work we talked of last week that needed to be done in Peter's heart. God was using him in great ways, but he still had some work to do in Peter's heart. And that's where we look at now in chapter 10. Last week we saw this where Peter the next day was praying and a vision appeared before Peter where a sheet is let down out of heaven and the four corners open up. And inside of that sheet are all sorts of unclean animals and unclean birds, of course, to the, according to the Jewish dietary laws. And the Lord says to Peter, get up, Peter, slaughter those animals and eat them. Rise, Pete, kill and eat, remember? And Peter's response was, by no means, Lord, absolutely not. I, will, I have never put anything unclean in my mouth and I will never put anything unclean in my mouth. The vision happened three times, remember, because he didn't get it. He, he missed it. The whole point of the dietary laws, even all the way back to the beginning, it was never about the diet. It wasn't about the diet. Jesus said it's not what goes into the mouth that makes somebody unclean. Jesus already told Peter that. He's still, not, he's still missing it. If it was about the diet, God would have gone back to the original diet, back in the Garden of Eden where it was just fruit and veggies, I'm glad it's not just fruit and veggies. Anybody else just, no? Hey, I'm, and for all of you vegetarians, God bless you in that. You know, I, you know when, you have, when you have, you know, a second cousin that's like that one step removed from being a cousin, I consider myself a second vegetarian. Just one step removed, because all the cows I eat are vegetarians. So that's, we're, we're not too far off. We're still connected there. But it wasn't about... It wasn't about the diet. Paul tells us that in Colossians. He says, don't let anybody be a judge of yours when it comes to food or drink, because all of that is a shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. It's all about Jesus. Even that was to show that there are unclean, but it's made clean in Christ. And that was the whole point that the Lord is making to Peter. Don't call any more unclean what I've made clean. Peter's still thinking in the vision time that that has to do with the food, but he's going to understand, as we're going to see in a minute, as we get into chapter 10 a little bit further, that he gets it now. It's not about the food anymore. It's about, it's about man. It's about humankind. 
Again, we looked at this last week in Colossians. Paul also says, don't make distinctions between Greek or Jew, barbarians, Scythians, slave free. No, we're, we're all the same in Christ. And that's the point that this is. Again, this is not just about Cornelius. This is also about the work that God is doing in Peter. And so we saw this last week as we're running up to, or slowly walking up to the, the point where we're going to pick up today, where Peter then, at the end of his vision, he's wondering what it's all about. And then, right then, the group of men that Cornelius has dispatched shows up right at that time and says, we're here for Peter. And they explain why they're there. And that's where we pick up today, verse 23, Acts chapter 10. It says, so he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, we know from chapter 11, verse 12, that there are six, six Jewish believers that are going to accompany Peter along with him on this journey. And that will be important, as we'll see at the end. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. Peter, again, we see here, he gets it now. He understands this wasn't about the dietary restrictions. This was about humankind. And we see why this is so important. Look again at verse 28. He says to them, this is the way he introduces himself. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. You yourselves know that it's against the law. Now, it's not against, obviously, Roman law. It's against Jewish law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And notice he says, you know this already. You already know that it's forbidden for me to even associate with you. It's forbidden for me to come to your house and to hang out with you. Now, let me just ask, do you think that might hinder outreach? Yeah. If, if I have in my heart that I'm not supposed to hang out with you, and you know that I have in my heart I'm not supposed to hang out with you, might affect my opportunity to share with you, right? Let me make this real personal. Guys, the same, this isn't a Jewish issue. This is a heart issue. This is an issue that we all need to address and we all need to look at. Let me just add, fair or not, how, do you, how does the world as a whole look at Christians? Fair or not, they look at us as those that we consider ourselves above dealing with them, right? Wouldn't you say that's a fair assessment? That they, that they think that we think that we cannot associate with them. That we have to be separated from them. We gather together in our little groups and keep them at arm's length. Fair or not, would you not say that that's the assessment that they would have? 
how does that hinder our ability to reach out to them? It hinders it greatly, right? And so when we look at this, we have to say, okay, so how do we break down those walls? How do we break down those barriers? We talk of this often, and this is so important. We cannot, cannot become like the world in order to reach the world. That has been attempted. That fails miserably. But guys, in our attempt to avoid the ditch, that ditch on this side of the road, we end up in the ditch on this side of the road way too easy. That in order to say, okay, well, we, we, we can't be like them, so we're going to steer away from that, we end up in the ditch on the other side that says, they're over there, and we're over here. It becomes them and us. Guys, the world has to know who we are for, not what we're against. The world looks at us and knows less that we're for Jesus and more that we're against abortion or against all of these other things. And yes, we are, obviously. But they gotta know we're for Jesus. They gotta know that we stand for the risen king of the universe and all that he is about. We can get so caught up, and again, we've, I've used this illustration before, but it, it, it really is so vivid to me. Guys, we try to clean the fish before we catch them. They, we have, we have to, they have to know that, that they're welcome here. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Let the Lord do the work that he is going to do. They, the Jews at the time considered Gentiles dogs. That's what they, that, that, that was one of the terms, that Gentile dogs. Again, how does that hinder <laughs> We don't know what God is doing in the hearts of people. What a, again, gonna get, just going to get real personal. <laughs> what is your heart towards your neighbor that was up partying last night until 2 o'clock having a kegger while you're trying to sleep? What is your heart towards the, the person in the cubicle next to you that's got a mouth like a sailor and that's cussing away all day long? What's your heart towards them? Have you built up a wall that when you're driving down the street, it's just like you can't even look that direction or you avoid their cubicle or, or whatever it is? Guys, that's the heart that God wants to change in us because we don't know. We do not know what's going on in their heart. We don't know what God's already doing. We can already say, man, they are so lost. Okay, God wants to save them. God wants to reach them. And are we willing to be used by God in that process? Or are we going to say, have Philip do it? God wants to do, continue to do a work in our hearts. He's uniquely placed us in places where only we can be used in that regard. And again, before we go off too much like it, it and say this is just a Jewish issue, Paul or James addresses the Christian church with this problem. He says, my brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. 
For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there is also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? This is, again, a very real issue. Back then, it's a real issue in our hearts, and we allow the Lord to... Show us that. It's, he says, he speaks of the rich and the poor. That's a singular example, but personal favoritism that's left there, that's in the plural. There's many ways that that can show itself. And maybe even unintentionally. Birds of a feather flock together. That's a famous saying for a reason. We have a tendency to come together in our groups that are comfortable for us in the same age bracket and the same things that we like to do and all that kind of stuff. And even unintentionally, we can say to others, you're not welcome. I love the story. If you've been around Calvary Chapel for any length of time, you've probably heard it, but it's such a great story. Back in the early days, when the hippies first started coming to Calvary Costa Mesa, they had just put in brand new carpeting in the sanctuary, and the hippies were coming in and haven't bathed in a while and dirty feet, and one of the elders came to Pastor Chuck and said, you know, these hippies are making the new carpet awful dirty. Maybe we should have them sit out, out further out in, the, out in the foyer or outside. And Chuck's response was, you know what? Their feet are making the carpet dirty. They probably feel bad about that. Let's tear the carpet out <laughs> so they feel welcome. That's the heart that we have to have. You know what? what? What wall needs to be torn down so that the world feels free to come in? Again, we got we to we, we get them to the point where they can hear the truth. We have, to, we have to tear down the whatever wall is there so that you can share the truth with them. This, is, this, this next verse is, look at this. It says, Peter says, so I ask, for what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments, and he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come with you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea, so I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then... We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius recounts his vision, but there's something important in what he says. In, in the verse, notice verse 31, it says, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. That, that English translation of what's said there is missing something very important. Literally translated word for word, it says, Cornelius, your the prayer has been heard. You're the prayer. That's not, what does that mean? <laughs> You're the prayer. Guys, there's a difference between praying and prayer. There's a difference between just praying and the prayer. You know, praying. We can fall into that habit ourselves. It's just done habitually. It's done, think, you know, praying before meals. Let's hurry up, you know, bless the, bless the bread, bless the meat. Man, I'm hungry, let's eat. Kind of just... <laughs> People, people ask me often, actually, 
how come we don't recite the Lord's Prayer at Calvary Chapel Surprise? Growing up in, in denominational church, you know, that was something that you did. You recited the Lord's Prayer. How come we don't recite the Lord's Prayer here? The key word in that is recite. We don't recite anything. Because then it just becomes a matter of repetition and everything like that. I encourage all of you to pray the Lord's Prayer. But pray it. And if you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, I guarantee you, every once in a while, you're not going to get past our Father in Heaven. And you'll just be stuck there for an hour. <laughs> if you truly pray the Lord's Prayer. And it's not recorded for us what Cornelius' the prayer was. But I speculate that it had something to do with the fact that, God, I've, been, I've reached the pinnacle. I, I've reached all the goals that I set for myself in my life. I'm a centurion. I have power. I have money. I have all this stuff. But I am still empty. We have a God for everything. And I've tried them all. And I'm still left wanting. I, I know that there's nothing there. Something I feel inside of me, and I'm reaching out to you, and if you're there, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Like I said, I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling his the prayer was something like that, and God reveals himself, and he shows himself to Cornelius in the form of an angel that says, go and get Peter, and I'll tell you how you can be saved. Guys, we don't know if our neighbor or the one in the cubicle next to us is praying that the prayer. Understanding that this party that they're throwing and that all of this kind of stuff and all of the worldly pleasures leaves them totally empty. The, the stresses and everything else in their lives that, that they don't know where to turn and they might be in their very heart crying out, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? And God might be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, I want you to go reveal me to them. And we have to be ready and willing to have those walls torn down. I know it's hard. I, I know it's uncomfortable. But let me just tell you, Jesus being Lord of your life isn't always comfortable. But it's always glorious. Because it's all about him. And the fact that he wants to use us. He chooses to use us in that process. Cornelius, your the prayer has been heard. Notice it says he immediately responded. He didn't delay. He didn't put it off. Not only that, he gathered a whole bunch of family and friends and I love this, I love this line. This is, this is a pastor's favorite thing to hear. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Pastors love to hear that. That's a pastor's dream, that you would all show up one day and say, we want to hear everything that God has for us today. Everything. Don't hold back, pastor. Let us have it. <laughs> I read this this week from a, one commentator, it says, when you go to church, do you want to receive a good message? Okay. Um, if so, if so, the best way is to come with a prepared heart. 
I know the preacher must be prepared too, but when God prepares the messenger as well as those who are there to hear him, then tremendous things happen. We're going to see as we look at these next few verses, tremendous things that happen. But one of the keys is that everyone was there eager to hear all that God had. They had been praying. Their hearts were prepared for the message. Their hearts were ready for whatever it was. And sometimes, again, we could say, God, I, I, want, a, I want an answer to this specific thing. And that's why we show up. And that, whoosh, that wasn't what God had planned. God, what is it that, that you desire? So we see Peter's response now, beginning in verse 34. Opening his mouth. Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Now, that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that you just have to fear God and be a good person and you can get into heaven. That's not at all what Peter is saying. As a matter of fact, that's clear as we read the next verses. And that's clear also in the life of Cornelius, because if that's all it took, Peter wouldn't be there, because Cornelius was already a good guy. Cornelius was already one that the Jews said was a good guy and that he feared God. But there was still something else. And the words that he needed for eternal life, to, to know that his sins are forgiven, to know that he's saved, are coming. But what Peter is saying is, I get it now. This invitation is open to everybody. It doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your history. This invitation is open to everyone. Verse 36, the word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he be became visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Peter lays it out clearly, the gospel, in, in just these verses that are before us now, Peace through Jesus Christ. We talked of this last week a little bit. The peace with God that is only available through Jesus. We are all enemies of God because of sin in our life. Before we come to the saving knowledge through Jesus Christ, having our sins washed away. That, that we, with, without that, we are all enemies of God. We can't have peace with God except through Jesus Christ. And after that takes place, when we have peace with God, then we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Again, not just Lord of the Jews, Lord of all. 
all have the same creator, all need the same savior. You yourself, he, he, and then he goes into that, you understand this, you know about Jesus. You know that, and they're t- he's talking specifically to this group of people. You know the historical Jesus. Again, he's 10 years or so before Jesus was still having, having his ministry and moving about this region. And, and no doubt many of them probably saw Jesus, maybe even heard Jesus teaching, had witnessed all of these things, knew of his crucifixion and his death, maybe heard that there was a rumor out there that he rose from the dead. But Peter then goes on and says, you've heard all of those things. We were witnesses to it and witnesses to his resurrection. And it wasn't just a spiritual thing. It was a physical thing. He points out, we ate with him. We drank with him. Physically resurrected from the dead. That is unique to Christianity only. We are the only people that follow a risen Savior. A risen Lord. All other religions have full graves. We have an empty grave. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he's alive. And he is in us. And that is unique. And it is non-negotiable, guys. It's not something that we can say, well, we can, you know, we can disagree on that. No, we can't. No, we can't. As a matter of fact, Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sin. The resurrection is vital to our salvation. His death on our behalf, crucial. Because no other sacrifice could pay the debt for our sin other than a perfect sacrifice. Jesus stepped out of heaven, became, became one of us, lived a perfect sinless life. And he exchanged that life on the cross for us, shedding his perfect blood as our sacrifice. That's crucial. But without the resurrection, it, does, it means that, the, that that sacrifice was not accepted. The fact that he is alive today means that sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. Resurrection is vital. And he says, and we've been ordered by this risen king to preach and to testify the truth, all of it. And notice he starts with the fact, there's, <laughs> he starts with the bad news. That this risen king is the judge of all. All the living and the dead. We understand as, as the judge, he has authority over all in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to him. Authority to execute judgment. And it tells us that clearly that as that, that judgment is executed, the unrighteous will be sent to eternal punishment. Not temporary holding, eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. So, all we got to do is be righteous. Simple enough. Or not. <laughs> Because the Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags to the Lord. The best that we can do is like a filthy rag to God. Because the best that we can do is still tainted by sin. But praise the Lord, it's not our righteousness we're measured on. When we give our lives to Jesus, we're measured on his righteousness. Paul tells us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, he took all of our sin upon him. When we make him Lord of our life, he clothes us in his righteousness. We're judged on his righteousness now. We stand before him faultless, guiltless, because he took it and paid it already. 
If it was just based on our righteousness and doing good things, Cornelius needed nothing. Again, the world thought he was a super guy. But he still stood condemned before a holy and righteous God. And praise the Lord. It's not, he's not just judge, he's savior. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Through his name, through his name only, there's no other name by which we must be saved. No other name. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But praise God, those who come to the Father through him are saved. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's what Peter says here. Whoever, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. That, can you imagine that truth? And, and we can imagine that because we've all been there as Christians, not knowing that before and now having that revealed. And that's what Cornelius has before him right now. Here's the truth that I've been waiting for. And look what happens. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers, the six that came with Peter, were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. I love this. The, the whole room, as, as Peter is sharing the truth, the truth of the gospel, the whole room, the Holy Spirit just interrupts Peter. He probably still had four points to make in his five-point message, and the Holy Spirit just, boom, <laughs> interrupts him. Poor Peter. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's up there with Jesus, transfigured before him, Moses, Elijah. Peter's like, wow, it's good that we're here. I tell you what, we're going to build three tents for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses, one for Jesus. The Father interrupts him right there. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter's with Jesus, and Jesus is saying, I gotta, I'm going to have to go to the cross, and he's laying out, this is what is going to have to happen. Peter says, never, Lord, and he stands up, and Jesus interrupts him and says, get behind me, Satan, and here we go. He's laying out, man, he's on a roll in this sermon, and the Holy Spirit says, enough. Boom. Yeah, poor Peter, the holy hat trick. He got in interrupted by the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all three. <laughs> but what a, what a glorious interruption. What a glorious interruption. The Holy Spirit just falls on the room. It says everyone who was there is saved. And the, the reaction, the astonishment of the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers that were there with Peter, they're like, wow, didn't see that coming. And then, again, it, it tells us that they were speaking in tongues. Now, that does not mean that all who are saved then start speaking in tongues. That's a verse that's used that says, okay, this is, this is your evidence that you're saved. You're speaking in tongues. Not everyone who's saved speaks in tongues. Not everyone who is saved that eventually speaks in tongues speaks in tongues when they're saved. It's a very specific reason, and it's outlined for us here. 
It, it kind of puts the capper on the end of it. Not only are they saved, they're saved the same way we were. God truly doesn't put a distinction on there. God truly does work outside of the boxes we try to put them in. He saved, he saved them without making them become Jews first. They, they were blown away by that because that's the only way that they thought it had to be a process. You got to become Jewish before, you know, that God's breaking down that wall. Let me let you in on something. God saves people outside of Calvary Chapel. Surprise. <laughs> God saves people everywhere. The Holy Spirit is moving outside of every box that we try to put him in. What hinders him from using us in the process is the box we try to put him in because he's going to do what he's going to do. They're blown away. They're amazed by what they see. And Peter says, man, what's to, what's to stop them from being baptized? So he baptizes them. Amazing. Amazing. We see the Holy Spirit just moving and working and said, We're, we haven't got these six. They're going to go back. And it's important, like I said, that this is all happening and taking place like this because they're going to get back to Jerusalem. We'll see this next week. Should the Lord tarry? We're going to get back. They're going to get back to Jerusalem and they're going to try to explain it. And they're going to be, the people are going to be like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Gentiles? And the fact that they were there and they witnessed all of this and the way that it all takes place is going to help the, the, Jerusalem church embrace the, the, the Gentile church and becoming one together. It's important that it rolled out this way. But as we just to close here, guys, it's so important that we don't try to put God in a box. He's going to work outside of it. We can't contain him. And we need to be willing to have the Lord tear down those barriers that we build. And those things that even unintentionally or things that we might not even be aware of, will you let God right now as we pray and as we worship, will you let God examine your heart? Say, Lord, is there anybody that I've built a wall up against that I've considered outside of your grace? I've considered outside the reach of your love and your grace. Would you tear that wall down right now? Examine us, that if, is there any group of people or anything like that? Because those are the ones that God might want to be using you in, as he did with Peter. That wall had to come down, and then look what happened. I want to be used like that. I hope you do. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word, and thank you for this illustration. And Lord, it is so easy for us to say, you know, that... That was them, that was then. Lord, the message is for us here and now. Lord, would you do a work in us right now? Would you do some heart surgery in us? And is there, if there's anything, anyone, Lord, that coworker, that neighbor, that, that family member, even maybe, Lord, even somebody who's hurt us, Lord, tear down some walls. Lord, we know that you're not done working. We can look at the world around us and think it's hopeless and try to put you in that box. But Lord, you're the God of hope. 
Use us in this time, Lord. Have your way in our hearts as we spend some time in worship right now. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move powerfully in this moment. That you would fall on this room. I want to talk with anyone here right now who's here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never trusted in him and him alone for your salvation. I want to encourage you right now because you've been prayed for that you respond now to the Holy Spirit who's leaning on your heart. Maybe you're like Cornelius and you've been praying, Lord, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. If this whole thing is more than just a group of people getting together, I, would you show yourself to me? He is right now, right now. This is a personal encounter. And I want to encourage you, if that is you, to respond immediately. As Cornelius did, don't put this off. Don't think that you have more time, that you can do this next week or next month or get around to it some other time. Respond right now. If you're thinking like Cornelius, that, that you're a good person and that, that, that overall that, that you know, things, things are good because you do a lot of really good things, the Holy Spirit right now is revealing to you, and I know he is, that you know that's not enough. I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to be easy to hear, but you got to hear it. Hell is going to be full of people who thought they were good enough. Hell is going to be full of people who thought they had more time. Respond today. In a minute, I'm going to have everybody stand and we're going to spend some time in worship. If that is you, I want to ask you to come forward. We're up front here. I'm, I'll be up front here. I want to pray with you. And it's, it's, again, it's a matter now of just responding to what God is doing in your heart. And I know what you might be thinking. You might, you might think, man, what are, what are people going to think if I come up? What are people going to say? We're going to rejoice because everyone in this room has been in that situation. We are, we are, we are no better than you. We are, we are all sinners saved by grace. And so I want to invite you to come forward. And if anybody would judge you as you come forward, they need to follow you up here. If you're, if you're nervous, you don't want to come up by yourself, you think, I can't do this by myself, would you ask the person next to you? They'll come up with you. But don't put this off. Don't, don't delay in this. You've been prayed for. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move in your heart today so that you can be free of all guilt, all the shame. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you will stand righteous and, and, and holy before a holy and righteous God, clothed in his righteousness, the work that he completed for you on the cross. Would you, would you all please stand with me? And as we sing, again, if that is you, would you please come forward so we can pray with you? Let's sing.